whoa, somebody said the magic silver box, and that person's right. This is not an old shoe box with a hole cut in it with torn wrapping paper from years of use covering it. This is the magic silver box. What happens with the magic silver box, intermission, there's paper and pens over here next to the books with the magic silver box. You write a question on the paper, put that in the magic silver box. If I ask that question during the panel discussion, you're gonna win an amazing prize. Like, they're all really good. There's several. Like, you have several chances to win. There is no reason not to put a question in the silver box. Hi, this is Catherine Lasota, host of LIC Reading Series, a monthly event in Long Island City, Queens at LIC Bar. In this episode of our podcast, you're going to hear the panel discussion from our July 10, 2018 event, which featured Chelsea Hodson, Allie Robottom, and Amanda Stern. If you want to hear the readings from that same event, just go back to our previous episode of the podcast. And now let's head on into LIC Bar, where we're starting off our panel discussion with Chelsea Hodson, Allie Robottom, and Amanda Stern on July 10, 2018. At the LIC Reading Series. <laughs> There's an emoji for that. Okay, guys, I'm going to start off by... So I know... Um, something I know that people are often interested to, to hear about is the amount of time that has gone into a book before it comes out into the world. And I know, uh, Amanda, that I've, I've, you know, I've been looking at some interviews with you and I know that Little Panic took some time for you to decide to dive in and do it. Um, and Chelsea, your book is a collection, Pity the Animals in here. It was a first published as a chat book. And Likewise, there's so much material that has gone in time and other writing that has gone into your own work. Allie, could you guys each talk a little bit about the timeline of these books coming into the world? Yeah. And anyone of you can start that. I'll start that. Um, I always say it took about six years from beginning to end, but I think the majority of it took place in my graduate program. I felt like I took like four, maybe three to four years to kind of figure out what kind of voice I um, that felt most honest to me in essays because I was interested in um, having a lot of different sources come into play. So like things from films, things from books, and I couldn't get the balance quite right for a very long time. So I kind of um, think about that as the time when I was um, figuring that balance out. And then when I wrote Pity the Animal, it suddenly um, started to make sense to me. And then I could kind of use that as my standard that felt that was the first thing I wrote in my life that felt really true to me. So after that, it kind of gave me some momentum and then, um, having deadlines of being back in school really helped me just kind of churn things out. And then after that, it was like a slow methodical editing, but that was kind of the process. Can, can I ask what it was about pity the animal that felt true to you? It's like I wrote it in a capsule almost like I didn't have any readers to it. And, um, it was the first thing where I felt like I didn't need another reader. <laughs> wow. mm -hmm. So I don't know if that, that sounds like too confident, but it was the thing for me that just, um, it just made sense to me in a way that none of my work had. So um, I was having that experience for the first time. I was able to kind of look for that again because uh, other essays, it would take years to, for me to feel that. Um, but I, I think just having that experience um, it just started to make sense to me of like what I was working towards and which sentences felt true versus um, 
untrue, I guess, just wacky in some regard or just like just false. Um, I think in nonfiction, that's really easy to just get into a voice that just doesn't even seem like you. So. Okay. Um, I did the math on this actually, and it was less time than I thought it was, which was amazing. Um, it was about four years from when I started or like had the idea for this particular iteration of this story um, until now. Um, but I had made some stuff around at least the illness element of the book during my MFA. And then once I got into a PhD program and I actually had to create something that was a book length, um, this came to me and, and the biggest challenge was once I got all the material written, which actually came fairly quickly, the, the biggest challenge was structure and mm. organization. And that really didn't come until the last year. So. What, what helped get that structure together? Um, I think surrendering. So the book in my head when I started it and, and sort of up until this structure was imposed on, it was very dreamy. It sort of flowed in and out of different time periods in this liquid way that I really um, liked and, and I had imagined it taking. But the problem with that was is that it was really hard for me to get some of the critical stuff in that I wanted to talk about, like historical stuff about Jello and and stuff about feminism that felt really important to me. So I ended up finally surrendering to the idea of having what I felt was a more sort of traditional structure and realized in the process that by imposing that traditional or more traditional structure onto the book, I was able to reach creatively in places and in ways that I, I hadn't been before. So it, it taught me a lot in that regard. That's basically my exact answer. Oh, ditto. Um, yeah, <laughs> ditto, except for it took me four and a half years. Um, Pretty close. Whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it took me, when I decided to actually write the book, it took me four and a half years, but it took me about 10 years to get to that point. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a long time. Um, and, um, I mean, literally everything that Allie just said is, is what I struggled with, and even in, including the uh, sort of dreamy nature was more fluid and I had to impose a more traditional structure onto it. When my editor came on board, she <clears throat> helped me sort of figure that out and how to do it. And, and it made, it, it was against like everything in my body. But as soon as it, I set it down, I realized you just made this book better. Wow. You being the editor um, by imposing this. Good editors, more man. She, my She's... editor is amazing. Yeah. Love her. Yeah. Millicent Bennett, shout out. Shout <laughs> out. Um, two things. One, your earrings are really great. These are amazing. Jennifer Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> My little They're sister great. works for her. Yeah, she's getting this like close-up view. You should see if you get a chance. They're these exactly. beautiful go-up-the-ear kind of thing. Um, but also, so it took you 10 years to, to be to ready. To what, what happened at that point? You're like, okay, now. Well, uh, the short answer is that every... Um, so after my first novel came out, I, I felt like I had a lot of momentum and I could very quickly write my second novel, which was inaccurate. Um, and as I began writing my second novel, it 
my own story started to infect it. And mm. and I that was wrong and irritating. And so I was like, all right, I got to start again. Clearly, this is what people do. They just start again. Um, so I did. And I just kept on starting again because my own story kept on getting in the way. Mm. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll just write the story out and get it out. And that'll be that. And then I'll return. And so I, I did that. And then I, at that point, realized me, I, I think I actually have something here. Yeah. And I, I have to make a commitment to going with this or with the novel. And I gave them both to my agent. And he said, there's like no question. The novel is terrible. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, so so I was like, exactly the words that were said. Yeah, he was like, I'm on the fence. Should I keep you as a client? No, um, no. so I went with the memoir. It's interesting that the, your own story felt like a disease to you in a way that kept infecting oh, yeah. your work. You're like, oh, fuck, I got to address this disease. It was really, really irritating. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you are not a gift, but you keep on giving. And the, <laughs> and the cure is to write a book. Such an easy cure. Such an easy cure. It's really easy. It's Everyone should easy. do it. <laughs> Yeah. Holy cow. So we have three amazing books here that are nonfiction that um, discuss certain parts of your own lives for the public to consume in book form. Do you uh, think, are there any thoughts that go through your head? It's something I wonder about um, putting writing out in the world about your own life that, well, is this how people define me in the world now by this book or is that is that a, is that something that is thought about like how you're presenting yourself as this one story or multiple essays in Chelsea's book am I putting worries into the world here that don't exist in this question reply uh, I think I'll start with that one um I, I, no I don't feel like other uh, I mean, the question is really, are other people defining me in a way? Right. I mean, like, we are all, we all contain multitudes, said some famous right. person, right? Is that Whitman? That was Whitman. Yeah. Yeah, it was Whitman. Whitman! <laughs> um, but, you know, a book is not all of us. Right. But so the, so yeah. you put this, this out in the world, and you're like, here's a piece of me, and it's, it can't be all of you. It's just one book. Right. So, well, what I tried to do actually was to write an autobiography of an emotion mm. and to, I wanted to offer um, readers the experience of being someone else and because that's always what I want to know when, and I wanted to know all growing up, are, 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 are you like me? Are you like me? Like, what does it feel like to be you? Because this is not feeling good. Mm. And if I could know what it felt like to be someone else, then I could feel that I belong to the world or I didn't. I could have some sort of validation or, you know, something mm -hmm. to compare myself against. So in, in a way, what I wanted to do was to give people that chance to live in someone else's brain and to see the world through someone else's eyes and to give them a visceral experience. And, and because I did it that way, I don't, I feel like there's, there's really nothing you 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 get it or you don't mm -hmm. you know and i think um some people won't and uh, obviously i hate those people <laughs> but um uh, they're wrong and, yeah. and some people will and the, the book is for them and but i do feel like yes i wanted to i did i know that as a person who has suffered from panic disorder and i've had panic attacks my entire life that if i had known 
someone else who had suffered how I was suffering, then I would feel like I belonged and I connected to someone else and that I wasn't this defective, you know, almost, I didn't feel human in a way. You know, I felt just wrong, like, like a discarded broken puzzle piece or something. But um, so I wanted to give, I wanted to just like say like here is everything that I have suffered and if you can connect to this and I know this will make you feel less alone. Mm -hmm. And that's like the most cliche thing in the world, but it's also the truest sense of uh, how to be alive, you know, is to connect and to be seen and to be felt and to be heard. And, and I wanted to mm -hmm. say, like, I hear you, I see you, you know, and um, because I didn't ever feel I was seen or heard. Mm -hmm. That's my answer. It's very giving. It's very, it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, good. Um, that that sounds like sort of, yeah. Ditto, right? Ditto. Um, but also, like, one thing that sort of stood out to me about your question was, um, it. this book really does feel like a, just a, a tiny sliver of me and my experience, and it, it, it makes me want to write more, mm -hmm. I guess. It's like... I put this one out, so now it's like there's a sliver, and now I'm going to just keep putting slivers out until there's some sort of composite whole assembled, and maybe you know each sliver will speak to to different people and and different ways, and that will feel like they're each performing their own individual functions in the world, and then somehow they just come together into this larger meaning that is me trying to reach out and connect. Mm -hmm. hmm. yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Um, my title, the Tonight I'm Someone Else, is a reference to kind of, um, you know, there's these different selves that we all have um, at any given point and then throughout our lives. So I'm kind of content just letting that be a document of mm -hmm. like different parts of my life. So um, for me, something happens when I write something where it feels um, removed from me afterwards. Like the memory is so, is somewhat gone even. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it exists in the book in this very surreal way. So um, I'm at peace with that and I like it. It feels like neat to me to mm. write one's life down. Um, it's like it it just goes there. So um, I can't, I understand when I read, <laughs> when I read someone else's book, I understand that it's not all of them. Like it just can't be. So um, I'm at peace with it. If people think that it is, like I think that that's just how they're reading it. But for me, it's a highly curated, um, just portrayal of like the different aspects of the self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that title is a brilliant title. I think tonight I'm someone else. Thanks. Conjures so much, like someone, like you know. But then who are you ever? I mean, it's like it's oh, it's, it's a great title. Yeah. I will not get into my own. Feelings, because I'm just asking the questions here, but I love that title. Um, Thank you. I wonder, in in Jello Girls, I feel like there's so much that's a, that addresses this um, this idea of silence and what happens when people are silenced, and and also Amanda in your book, there, it just seems like there was so much going on inside of you that was not understood, and in a way, that's the silence. And um, could you each maybe talk a bit about what you feel writing this connection to silence is for you. Um, hmm. 
I mean, for me, and I, you know, I think in in Jello Girls, there's this idea that probably sort of in all of our work that um, it's when one doesn't express what's sort of like humming around inside and needing an 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 outlet and bad things happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I guess I don't think like. For me and for writing, for me as a writer, it just feels like that would be the natural outlet. And, and if I wasn't writing, then I would be for making myself sick. What was the question again? <laughs> the relationship of writing to an idea of silence or yeah. as its relationship to silence or or as an opposite to silence, perhaps. Sure. I mean, I will say that when um, I haven't written and when I haven't at least spoken, because it I feel like I talk a lot about my various issues <laughs> when I haven't, that's when I'm in danger. But if I, I'm speaking, at least it's coming out in some way. And then it's, it's existing sort of like our books outside of myself in the world and no longer doing me harm. Um, no longer doing your harm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Chelsea, you want to, um, yeah, I was just mean, um, yeah, I don't know. I think writing is just the way that I feel the most comfortable expressing myself. So I'm very prone to be silent. So I think that that's like my reaction against that part of myself of like, um, yeah, I'm not someone that's like the loudest person in the room or like in a group of people I won't like fight to talk. I'm like very happy just sitting back and being quiet. And um, so I think that's it's like a reaction against that part of myself where there is I think a part in everyone that um, wants to express themselves and be seen for who they are. And um, so in writing, I think I'm able to kind of attempt that action. Um, well, let's see. I feel like I, um, I know that I sit in silence all day while I'm writing, but it's so busy in my brain all the time. And I don't even know that there's silence. Um, so in that sense, my, you know, I, I have to at times really stop and say, okay, pay attention to the quiet, pay you know, and try and sort of match the room tone, like get my brain to calm down. Um, but I, I feel like I was able to write out a lot of the noise and attain some sort of level of silence, which was really um, kind of remarkable. I didn't know that would happen, but it, but it did. Um, but I, I do feel like a, a lot of my, I feel like a lot of my childhood, I wasn't silenced so much as not, I didn't feel seen. So yeah, I guess I was, mm. I was sort of silenced in the sense that what I said didn't seem to matter, um, but um, because I was a kid, um, but kids know a lot more than we give them credit for. Um, but so, yeah, I you know I think that that my relationship to silence is not really in the world so much as in my head and trying to attain a level of silence. Hmm. Interesting. Thank you for spitting my question on its head like that. That was great. Anytime. I, I appreciate that. 
I'm going to ask one more quick question, and then I'm going to dive into the silver box. Because I had such a primo seat here, I was like looking over your shoulders as you read, and it's always interesting to see like all the marked up books that readers read from mm -hmm. and like how they mark like i'm gonna start here but i'm not gonna read this part no this word doesn't belong here anymore <laughs> um, i cross out sentences too yeah right so what's the experience like of you've written this book it's published in the world now you're reading from it how does that feel so like do you continue editing or talk about that experience of reading from your book now that it's done and it's printed and it's out there I'm very picky about where my readings end. So mm. I'm, you probably saw, if you saw my it notes, end. I crossed out certain paragraphs that I feel like you can live without while still ending at the right mm. place. So I'm happy that they're in the book. I wouldn't cut them out from the book, but for the reading experience, I think it's like neat to have a line that you're happy with at the end. And so that's, that's where my notes come from. Besides that, I don't really do that much editing like in the book, but that's what I did for tonight's. What I get from that is that you can be amazed by Chelsea's readings in person, but if you really want to know what happens, you got to get the book. <laughs> <laughs> the essay does go on. Yes, it's, there's a lot of juicy stuff. Um, the, well, this was my first night reading from the book, and I've only had the hard copy like a, a week or two. It's amazing. <laughs> um, so cool. But I did make my first mark in it, which was like a star that said end earlier today. Um, and I changed a couple words while I was reading. Like one sentence that still plagues me because there's just a repeated word above it. And I, there was no way to change it. Anyways, like I changed that. I put in an also instead of a two. That was my edit. So hopefully I'll have more of these to come to so I can do more, you know, scrawling. Um, all right, I'm going to answer this question in two ways. The first way is that um, I haven't, I'm not planning on reading my book ever. What do you mean? Like, I'm never going to read it. I'm never going to sit down and read it. And but wait, wait, so you read the manuscript? Yeah, I'm done. You wrote it, you read it. You're <laughs> not finished. You're not going to read that it's book done. in that hardcover. You're never going to, never. Gonna never going to happen, never going to happen. No. I have all sections right. that I'll read aloud from, mm -hmm. and um, and when I'm, you know, when I started to prepare to, uh, for the book tour, I, I, I read aloud just to hear what it sounds like, and, and then I'm like, man, come on. What are you? Are you who did, who, what? So I, I, I edit, and then I, I'm, I'm like, I got to go to everyone's house and, like, do this in their books. Oh, and, man. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I, that's why I'm not going to read the whole book, ever. Mm. Um, but so I definitely, there's a difference, there's a different rhythm when you're reading to yourself quietly and when you're reading out loud. And sometimes yeah. you have to, you have to take out sentences. You yeah. have to maybe move things around. But I, I want to also say this, which is on topic, but a little bit different. Um, you're so subversive. Look, I'm the oldest one up here, you know? I can do what I want now. Um, I, um... So the 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 in, the thing I've noticed about reading aloud from a memoir, which I've never written before, is that I've become a character, and it's only in becoming a character, a third person, that I'm able to have empathy for myself, and able to feel 
the sadness, like sad for this person that I have never felt before in my life. And that has been really difficult and, and really amazing at the same time. Um, because you really, you know, to think like, wow, I can't have, I, I've never had this sort of compassion for myself until I became someone else in a way, until I invented myself anew and, you know, um, and that's been a really weird thing and to, to sort of deal with and um, it's just an interesting thing I wanted to note. That is really interesting. Yeah, I'm glad that you're able to have empathy for yourself, Via. I mean, I did. I did. It's over. It's oh, you know, and just done. Yeah, okay. it happened it makes, like two weeks ago. I'm done. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Like you know, you, you these things we hear all the time when you're very hard on yourself for whatever reason, <laughs> and you have to step back and say, "Would I treat my best friend that way right. if they were? Would I tell them they were a selfish, un- yeah, like untalented, worthless piece of shit?" I'm oh, sorry. is that not? What? Is that not how we're supposed to talk no. to No, and also I just feel like I gave you way too much insight into my own narrative. <laughs> just. So let's move on to the magic silver box! Yeah. Okay. You guys, we have to pick who's going to get the first question. And the way we're going to do that is I'm thinking of something that you might keep in a refrigerator. <laughs> You're all going to say film. Wow. Okay. Amanda's in it. All right. Allie? Yeah. Yeah, No, something you might keep in the fridge. Hot. (laughs) I'm coming over to your house. (laughs) What's on the film, Amanda? I don't want to talk about it here. Iced tea. (laughs) Iced tea. You guys are way more exciting than I am, but I was thinking of orange juice. Oh. Which is, it's yeah. clearly Chelsea. I was yeah. drinking orange iced tea today, so I think that's me. Yeah. There's the thing of that is orange iced tea in her refrigerator. What? My refrigerator. What is it like? Fresh oranges in iced tea, or is it like what is it? Mm, it's a flavor of tea that I bought. It's a flavor <laughs> of tea. And I put it in the fridge. That's <laughs> a good story. I mean, it was good. Thanks. It's good. Is it a Lipton product? Mm, no, no, it's not. <laughs> is that a doggy? All right. <laughs> no, that was my stomach. I have an I have an idea. All right. The asker of this question, I have an idea. You're going to get a prize. All right. Let's ask you this. This is morbid, but I like it. And whoever asks this is going to get not only. A $10 gift certificate to the Astoria Bookshop. Good for in-purchase, in-store. I've had some whiskey. Good for in-store purchase. You're also going to get a copy of Tonight I'm Someone Else. Woohoo! That's good because no book is $10. All you need to be is the asker of this question, which is, what do you want your last meal to be? <laughs> I'm gonna take that, even though it's into that. Um, what do I want my last meal to be? I'm not like a big foodie, so I don't know. <laughs> um, I had Shake Shack last night, and I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> I really like the Shack Burger with everything on it and cheese fries, so I'm just gonna go with that. I have good memories associated with Shake Shack, and that's my answer. 
That's really a good answer because always those things are delicious until the next day and you're like, oh, you'd be I dead. Don't, I don't have that experience. So I love it. It's all done. You're like, that's a brilliant. Good Wait, question. who won? Did someone win? Oh, cool. Wait, I'd like to answer yeah. that question. Okay, fine. Because okay. I think about this quite often. Oh, oh. <laughs> I n- I've never thought of it. Bonus, you it. get an answer really? from Amanda. I think about this almost daily. Okay. Who the fuck is hungry when they're about to die? Not me. No last meal. Just do it. Am I wrong? That, that's what you think about every day, that you would not have a nothing? last meal. My answer is, no, my answer is it, I'm not hungry. Not even orange iced tea. Not even my, orange iced tea. Is, my answer is to have a conversation about how they think I could be hungry. So you're trying to, to delay it. A little bit. Well, I'm like Shahrazading yeah. it. But who's hu- Are you hungry? I am not yeah. hungry. Some I would eat it. Yeah. I can barely eat on a date. I mean, I guess we're just different that way. <laughs> Fine. You don't have to answer the question, Allie. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking. I, it's a hard question. I know. I've never thought about it. Really? Think about I mean, it's, quite you know, um, Amanda had strong well, feelings. I, yeah, I should have. I feel like I'd want something like cold. I don't know why I'm thinking that. Because I don't Because you're about to be. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh. But like. I'm going to continue this inappropriate behavior all night. Don't you worry. Yeah, not jello. Actually, that might be the only thing I could eat. Right, exactly. Um, that is reality, but in this fantasy, I feel like I would want something. I I would want to be physically cold, and then I would want to eat something that was warm, with tomato and cheese, like, but not pizza. I think maybe like eggplant parmesan. Why not pizza? I just because I I like the eggplant parm. Okay. <laughs> maybe in Keep a sandwich. Them on their toes. Yeah. All right. Cool. Sandwich. <laughs> I don't know. I might maybe I just get like wasted. Like Oh, that is a great idea. I've never thought of that. Oh my god. I my like, last meal, a lot of Vicodin. Right? <laughs> or uh, why don't I just try heroin for the first time? I mean, what's the risk? Really? That's what I'm changing my that, answer. That might happen. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people go heroin. out. Like that. My last meal is heroin. <laughs> so excited. Everything is a game changer for me. All right. Now now I have to think about the next question here. We've really gone on a path. (laughs) Chelsea, you're disqualified from getting the next question because technically that was your question even though everyone answered it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'm thinking of... Tofu. No, I'm not. <laughs> but if I were, it'd be amazing. Because the question is, I'm thinking of something you might find in a medicine cabinet. Which is not heroin. Well, Allie, Amanda, who wants to... Zyrtec D. Zyrtec D says, Amanda, Allie... Um, dental floss. Holy shit. I was thinking of dental floss. <laughs> Mint I can read mine. I didn't get that specific. <laughs> if you guys had both said dental floss, then we would have to do like a, a yeah, like, I would just say cinnamon. 
No. No. The only thing that's wrong with like dental floss, the only thing that could be wrong about dental floss is when it's the too thick kind mm. and it gets stuck and it tears. No. Anyone um, else have that problem? Just no, me? Um, All right. Allie, <laughs> you get this question. Because you've read my mind, tofu in a medicine cabinet. <laughs> the asker of this question will receive a gift card to a Sweet Leaf Coffee Roasters. Ooh. It's really good coffee and baked goods and etc. There are four locations, two of them in, well, two or three, three, uh, two of them are in Long Island City. So you should just come here and have coffee. It's really good. Okay. <clears throat> Allie, what childhood movie do you always want to see again? Who asked this question? You get some coffee. I happen to know you live in LIC. This will come in handy. Um, I have two thoughts. I'll, I'll go with this. Um, there's this movie called The Last Unicorn. Ah, um, which is on YouTube. So you can realize this this dream of seeing it again. Um. But yeah, it's just this sort of like weird 70s era, like sort of like the animated Hobbit, that type of animation. Um, I think it was the 70s. And it's about a the last unicorn and her trials and tribulations. She becomes a woman, unicorn again. I would like to see that. The last unicorn. I was Ooh. also obsessed with that movie. Yeah. Really? I haven't seen it for like I, 25 years. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of it. Yeah. Do you want to answer that just for shits? No, no you're like, upset that tofu wasn't in the medicine. <laughs> All right. Well, no fear, Amanda, because this question is yours. I don't have to guess anything. You don't have to guess anything, not even. Seven. Okay. <laughs> the asker of this question gets an amazing prize pack. <laughs> that dance was a bonus. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. Amanda, do you want to tell yes. people what's in the prize pack? Oh. This is a little panic uh, tote bag. And uh, this was a gift bag at the book party. Inside the tote bag is a book. What? Little panic tea. Aww. Oh. A stress ball, but there are two, so I'm going to throw one out. And oh, bonus! Nice. Uh, napkins, because, you know, we had leftovers. <laughs> and that's it. A book wow. that Amanda will never read. Never. <laughs> that's right. a really good tote bag. You just caught that stress ball, so I hope this is not your question. But she won't. Oh, you, whatever. You, can. you know what? All's fair. Whatever happens in this room, we might. The question is, Amanda, what was the best money you ever spent spent as a writer? <gasps> Front row. Oh, sorry, I need it. It's like a um, the best money I ever spent as a writer. I know I bought. Oh, well, I don't know if that was really the best thing I did. Um, okay. So I have a little sister, 
who is um, very fashionable, and everything she wears I want. But everything she wears costs no less than twelve hundred dollars. Um, so I can't have anything that she owns. Um, but when I got my book deal, I thought, aha, <laughs> I am going to get a pair of Chloe boots that she yes. has. They're awesome. And I looked them up and they are $1,200. And I thought, nope. <laughs> so I went on, what's it called? Uh, Tradesy, which is a little known place I spend a lot of time on. Um, and you could shop other people's closets. And there I found Chloe boots for $200. And I bought them and they're awesome and I did not wear them tonight. That is the best money yeah. I've ever spent with okay. with writing money. Yeah. What do they look like? And then rent, I guess. Um, they're amazing. They're like uh, they're like low ankle booties. They're pink and uh, not. They're very uh, pale. They're an Amanda pink. Mm. I'm not a pink gal, but they're Amanda pink, and they have um, like little tiny little um, silver like studs and stuff all over. They're amazing. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> Love she feels so good about, about their them. shoes. Um, I just really want to give somebody in the audience a drink ticket. This is a drink ticket. So it's a little sword. It's exchangeable for a drink from Gareth. And so we're just going to end real fast with this like very light question, which is for all of you. Just, just when, did, when did you start calling yourself a writer? And why? Who asked this? Oh, you did. There you go. I'm a writer. Hey. I moved to New York after I graduated college in Arizona, and I think I really, like, doubled down. I was like, I'm a writer. Like, I came here to be a writer, and that's – I think I just started – I, like, believed in the, the American idea of, like, you portray yourself as, like, the thing you want to be, you know? And um, so I wasn't, like – you know, oh, I'm this hotshot writer, but I was like, I have all these part-time jobs during the day, but what I really am is a writer. So I, I did it pretty early on. I just How old? I was probably like 21. Oh, wow. wow. This is more advanced. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember just saying that. Um, I definitely didn't lead with it until I sold Jello Girls. Um, I think I would like be like, well, I, I'm, I teach and I'm doing this, 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 and then I'd like ease into it um but yeah it was only after i like made like book money that i was like okay i'm a writer now i say it a lot <laughs> i enjoy it because those fuckers with the follow-up questions are like where did you publish writer yeah right exactly um i i started calling myself a writer when i sold my first short story uh when i was 27 um, I had sold poems before. I started as a poet. But oh, poems, poems don't count. No, right. they don't. So I didn't call myself a writer then. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so 27. Sweet. Yeah. And today she's 30. One. One. Sorry. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> you guys, these are all incredible writers, 100%. Let's give them a big round of applause. 
That's today's show. If you like what you heard, tell a friend or leave a review wherever you found us. Special thanks to LIC Bar, the Astoria Bookshop, and our amazing intern, Nadine Santoro. A big thank you to our sponsors over the years, LIC Corner Cafe, Sweet Leaf Coffee, Court Square Diner, and the Gantry Restaurant. This episode was recorded by Carl Jacob and mixed and edited by Justin Alvarez. Our theme music is by Pat Irwin. The LIC Reading Series is made possible in part by the Queen's Council on the Arts with public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. I'm your host, Catherine Lasota. See you next time in Queens.